I don't know whether anybody noticed that uh, Engels has a special this weekend for $9.98 men. You can get your dozen red roses on special. Uh, Dale, you're looking like you... Hey, I only buy live roses. Well, there you go. All right. Well, it seemed to me that with the kids having done what they did and with, uh, with all of the accent on love this weekend, that probably this, uh, this second fill-in pastor should speak a little bit about love as well. But I want to talk a little bit about a, a biblical love. Now, let me ask you the question. What are the two great commandments? All right. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, and strength. And, and, and what's the second one? All right. Very good. You all get an A. Michael, you've done a good job of teaching this congregation the essentials. And, and indeed, Jesus came as a fulfillment of uh, God's love for us. And, you know, what a deal. And I will also tell you that if you kind of did a, um, uh, if you looked at the major world religions, you would find some sort of a prescription similar to that. So, for example, for if, you know, the Jews, you shall love your neighbor as yourself, the Hindus, one should not behave towards others in a way which is disagreeable to oneself. And the Buddhists hurt not others in ways that you yourself would find hurtful. And the Muslims, no one of you, no one of you is a believer until he desires for his brother that which he desires for himself. So, I mean, there's a general thread that runs through all of these religions that we have to be thinking bigger than ourselves and who we are. And so Jesus certainly endorsed that. And what I want to do today is take a look at something that John did to change that formula. Now, because John did. And we're going to take a look at it in 1 John 3, and that's why I took it out of order, was so that I could, could show you that John wanted to make sure we understood the height and width and depth of what it meant to love your neighbor from a sacrificial standpoint. And so instead of love the Lord, God with all your heart, my you know, believe in Jesus Christ and what he did. And so we'll get, we'll, we'll get to that. I think you're going to find it's interesting. But, you know, formulas sometimes are a positive thing. Sometimes they're accepted and they're really, really good. When you change a formula, sometimes they're not. How many of you were around? Well, I won't ask this. Because this morning at the early service, I asked how many of you were around in 1985. 
I think, I think we've got a 100% attendance rate here. Okay, well, that's good. Then we can talk frankly. Back in April of 1985, what happened? Oh, my goodness. Do you remember when Coke changed their formula? <laughs> now, I'm serious. Think about this. With great fanfare, they talked about how they were doing a new and improved, it was, it was new Coke. It was a new and improved formula. It was so new and so improved that within three months it was off the market. And it was so, it was so incredibly successful that the 400 phone calls they averaged a day at the headquarters in Atlanta ballooned to 1,500 every day. And they even brought on a psychiatrist, seriously, to listen to some of the phone calls to understand the height and width and depth of the feeling behind it. And the, re the, the report was that it was like a member of a death in the family. Even now, okay, and this will be the last. <laughs> Even Fidel Castro discussed it and said, he couldn't stand New Coke, and he said it symbolized a sign of capitalistic decadence. <laughs> All right, so let's open our Bibles. <laughs> Let us open our Bibles to three, the first epistle of the three epistles that John wrote to the Johenian community. And, and I'm, going to, I'm going to just read verse 11, and then I'm going to run to 16. John says, this is the message that you've heard from the beginning. We should love one another. And then he goes on a little bit, and he, he talks about Cain, he talks about Abel, but then he gets back to this theme, and I want to pick it up on the 16th verse. This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. This is how we know what love is. Seems very appropriate on a Valentine's Day weekend to finally figure out what love is, you know? And, and it isn't about giving a Walt Whitman sampler of, uh, of candies. And I went over and visited Liv, and she has this whole big thing that her son sent her. And she opened it up, and she had it right by me, in front of me, letting me breathe it, breathe it in. And I did eat a few. Jesus would probably say that's a nice act, but that probably doesn't fit his definition of, of the love thing, and I did appreciate it a bunch, four times as much. But what is love? What does it mean to love your neighbor as yourself? You remember in other places they talked about, you know, who is my neighbor? That was asked. And, and 
And so we, we had our vision expanded. But there was not anything about the height and width and depth of the sacrifice. You know, what kind of, how do we demonstrate that love? And Christ died for us. And what that kind of tells me is that if we're supposed to follow this, then we need to get beyond the warm and fuzzy, here's a hundred bucks for Eden Ministries, or here's, you know, as some, as some folks do, we, we, you know, we write a check, and which, is, which is good. Don't get me wrong. But where, in many cases, is the sacrifice? I can feel good when I write a check, or I can feel good, but, but does it, you know, does it hurt? We're all from different environments. We grew up with different things. Some of us grew up with a lot, of, with, with plenty, and some of us did not. Some of us worried about whether or not, you know, we were going to have food on the table. Others, uh, like myself, we always had food. Some of it I didn't really enjoy a whole lot, but, and we had a lot of it, of that food. But the fact of the matter was, we never worried about having food on the table. We never worried about having a roof over our head. But it does influence how I look at stuff. It does influence what I want to keep and what I want to give up or am willing to give up. It is those kinds of things. And what we're being told is that this love that Jesus showed for us was something that he willingly did going to the cross. As we heard today, he chose to do it. If anyone has material possessions and sees his brother in need but has no pity on him, how can the love of God be in him? So obviously, John has been hearing some reports. Some folk aren't doing what they did in Acts chapter 2 when everybody came together and the Holy Spirit came down and they shared everything they had. And the early church was like that. They saw people in need and they took care of it. And I know he meant it when he turns around and here's John saying to, <laughs> in the next verse, dear children, little ones, you know, somebody who I think is probably still drinking milk instead of eating hard food. Little children, or dear children, let us not love with words or tongue, but with actions and in truth. Which certainly harkens back to James, doesn't it? Um, where he said, faith without works is dead. That's exactly right. Marie knew it. She was mouthing it. And I'm mouthing right back at her. Love, for me, it has always been an action verb. 
Love is not something that we just say as a noun or as an adjective or as an adverb. This is a lovely, this is a lovely event. But love means there is an action that kind of goes along with it. And this, this then is how we know that we belong to the truth and how we set our hearts at rest in his presence, God's presence, whenever our hearts commend us. Now, I remember a communion that I took on a retreat in Germany. And I remember the chaplain asking after that retreat, how many of you believe that God has forgiven you of your sins? And in our head, all of our hands went up. But then he asked the second question, which was, how many of you have been able to forgive yourself? And not a hand went up. Now, I will tell you that if we believe in our heart that God has forgiven us, then we would believe in our heart that we can forgive ourselves. But we're not. We know we're imperfect. It may have to be in our closet we admit that we're unperfect, or we look in the mirror and we realize that we're unperfect. And the world may look at us and say, oh, this person is just wonderful. But we know. And so when we come before God and, and we confess, in true confession, it's difficult Sometimes for us to fully believe that God could really forgive us. If he really knew who we were like. That's why when we come to the table and we, we say to you, brothers and sisters, even if you have doubts, you're invited to come to this table. So that you can experience the height and width and depth of God's love for you. God looks at us in our entirety. We are made in God's image. He does not expect us to be perfect. We're on a route towards that, but the only time I'm going to get perfect is when I'm home. And that's the same thing with each of us. And so God looks at not just what we say or what we think, but what we do. And looks at the whole of us. And he continues. John does. Dear friends, if our hearts do not condemn us, we have confidence before God. In other words, if I look in the mirror and I kind of I look at it and say, you know what? I feel good about who I am and how I'm trying to be a Christ follower. I may not be perfect, but I'm, I'm making headway. If our hearts do not condemn us, we have confidence before God and receive from him anything we ask because we obey his commands and do what pleases him. Now, 
Bobby knows a young man that I've known for years. And he reads the Bible and it says, ask for something and God will give it to you. And I have tried to explain to him that you got to be in line with what God wants and how God wants us to think and act and do to expect to receive when you ask. I saw some smiles out there because I know some people. I mean, you know, I understand. But when we are at a place, right? well, let me just say, when Jesus says, what did Jesus say over and over again? He goes, I listen to dad and I do everything he tells me. He doesn't just say it once. He says it twice, three, four times. I got it. After I, I read it about five or six times, I started to realize Jesus hears the word from God. God says, I want you to do this, or this is how I want you to act. This is how I want you to live. And this is how I want, this is how I want you to do your life. And he does it. He doesn't do anything other than what the Father tells him to do. When we get to that place where we're working towards that place, we can, our, our, our thoughts are just like the Father's. And then when we see a need that doesn't, it isn't all about me, you can expect it to be answered. In fact, according to this, you should expect it to be answered. But you've got to be in the right, on the right wavelengths. And this is his command. To believe in the name of the Son. And that's what we heard Peter saying when we, were, when we had the reading. Jesus Christ. And to love one another as he has commanded us. And those who obey his commands live in him. They abide in him. And, and, and abide means a variety of different things. And in fact, I actually, just for your sake, I looked it up. <laughs> if I can find it. Ah, this is what happens. Abide means to, to, be, to be within, to be, to be filled to, to follow. When we abide in him, God abides in us. And how does that abiding take place? It's with God's spirit. The spirit of Christ that shines through. And when you see somebody that's filled with that spirit, then by gum, you know it. I mean, you can feel it. It kind of goes, and there have been times when each of you felt it. I know it. I know it. And there's times when I wanted to feel it. And then I had to go back and take a look at who I was and where I was. But God is faithful. And he expects us to make mistakes. But he expects us that when we cry out with a, with a, a true heart, it'll be there. He'll be there. His hand is always outstretched. The one who takes it away is us. So this is how we know what love is. 
Christ laid down his life for us. And we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters in a sacrificial way. That, to me, is the essence of what it means to celebrate the big heart. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.